I'm Hillary. I'm Emily. And we're the Sirens. Today we're talking about Grand Hotel, a 1932 drama directed by Edmund Golding with a screenplay by William Drake um, and starring basically everybody from the 1930s. <laughs> Greta Garbo, two Barrymores, Wallace Beery, and Joan Crawford. It's based on... A 1930 play um, called Grand Hotel by William A. Drake, who also wrote the screenplay, but it was adapted from a 1929 novel by Vicki Baum. It's the only film, trivia alert, to have won the Academy Award for Best Picture without being nominated in any other category. Oh. Yeah. Um, So the Grand Hotel in Berlin is a luxurious place where the rich and famous live and entertain each other. Baron Felix von Geigern, who squandered his fortune and supports himself as a card player uh, and an occasional jewel thief, befriends Otto uh, Kringlein, a dying accountant who has decided to spend his remaining days in the lap of luxury at the Grand Hotel. Kringlein's former employer, uh, industrial magnet uh, general director Prizing, is at the hotel to close an important deal that, spoiler alert, falls through until he lies. And Prizing hires a stenographer named Flemshin to assist him. Another notable guest is Russian ballerina Gruzinskaya, played by Greta Garbo, whose uh, career is on the wane. When the Baron hides in her room to steal her jewelry for a particular heist to get some money, he hides in her room. Um, She returns from the theater and he overhears her as she talks about wanting to kill herself because it's just not worth living anymore. He emerges and it's love at first sight, but he still needs to figure out a way to get the money he needs to buy out the partners that wanted her jewelry in the first place. At the beginning of the film, a disfigured veteran of World War I and a permanent resident of the Grand Hotel, uh, Dr. Atternschlag, observes people coming, going, nothing ever happens. But after this, quote, a great deal, including gambling, drinking, drama, possibly prostitution, some hysteria, and dun-dun-dun, murder ensues. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I'm so glad that you had to do the summary, Hill, because (laughs) there there were basically like six or seven different storylines in this movie. So many. In addition to all of the little asides from various like lesser characters. So that was very well done. Um, I am um, leaned heavily on some some existing summaries to help figure out how to distill it into something that was uh, like two minutes instead of a hundred. <laughs> well, and so this film won Best Picture, but it wasn't nominated for like acting or anything. Mm, nope. That's so weird. Yeah. Do you want to hear some other trivia that I have? Yes, I do. Okay. So the like the the the, the line that this movie is famous for is "I want to be alone," which is Greta Garbo's <laughs> like famous line, like attributed both to her character and to herself because she, um, you know, not too long after this in 1941 retired from movies and was rarely heard from again. Um, so it's on the list. It's placed number 30 in AFI's movie quotes, but you know, it's basically number one um, for being <laughs> famous. Um, it is, it was a game. It changed the game. It was the first all-star film that had more than one star. It was conceived by Irving Thalberg, husband of Norma Shearer. 
this usually this the the studio produced one all-star musical in the like in the previous two years if it wasn't a musical the conventional wisdom was that there would only be one or two stars in a movie in order to like force audiences to pay separate admissions to see like move their stars in many films but this movie changed that philosophy because they like packed in five top tier stars and um like basically everybody wanted to see this movie um oh, so yeah. it like blew box office uh, numbers out of the water it was also seen as an artistic achievement in its art direction and production quality and i hope we talk a lot about the like cinematography there are a lot of shots that you know just kind of blew my mind um the art director cedric gibbons was one of the most important and influential in the history of american film the lobby scenes with the 360 degree desk are like still famous people still refer to them like in all the west anderson movies like refer to oh, is <laughs> that it was cool how it was circular and and also so many um when they looked, showed the view looking up and looking down mm-hmm. with all the different floors, I thought that was very striking and it made me want to stay at a hotel like that. I know, right? I was like, please get me to a luxurious hotel. <laughs> In 1930s Berlin, before it, anything bad happens. <laughs> right. Yes. Those are my parameters. Um, this was the first film to feature Lionel and John Barrymore together. They later appeared in other films, including a movie with their um, their sister Ethel. Joan Crawford was was one of the stars in this movie, and she was totally awestruck by Greta Garbo. And they had no scenes together, um, but Cr- Joan Crawford would apparently like walk past Greta Garbo and be like, "Hey, how's it going? Hi." And, um, and Garbo never responded so at some point she like Joan Crawford like stopped trying and then at some point Greta Garbo was like stopped her and was like why aren't you like talking to me anymore and Joan Crawford was like (laughs) (laughs) totally starstruck the author and playwright Vicky Baum based um, her original novel based on her own experiences as a chambermaid um, at two well-known Berlin hotels as well as a scandal at a hotel involving a stenographer and an industrial magnet, which uh, I thought was kind of cool. Um, yeah, it does. It, the story seemed, for the most part, believable to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like tragically so, I think. Yeah, it was very slice of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. Wallace Beery, who plays the industrial magnet, uh, was well known by this time as being a, just a total jerk and an asshole. Like nobody liked him. He was a terrible person. <laughs> um, he apparently stormed out of rehearsals saying that he would only come back, quote, when Joan Crawford learns to act. So, oh my God. Yeah, One of the greatest actresses of all time. Yeah. So, like, screw you, Wallace Beery. <laughs> apparently, all of the trivia I have about this movie is about Joan Crawford because. Joan Crawford initially objected to her role as Flemishan because she like was afraid that it would be censored because it was too provocative and racy and the director and producer like you know tried to assure her that that wouldn't be a problem they were going to film it tastefully but apparently a lot of her scenes were cut because the censor boards were like this is this character is too indecent. It's funny that you say that because I was thinking about it and this it felt to me like she was a much more prominent character than the Garbo character mm-hmm. in the movie. Like she seemed more central to the plot in a lot of ways. 
Yeah. And apparently Irving Thalberg tried really hard to like, he at some point in like rushes was like, oh no, Joan Crawford is like in this movie more than Garbo is. So he like, like had a hand in the day-to-day like editing to like make sure that that didn't happen. This is the result. (laughs) Still seems like it happened, but. But it is true. Like a lot of the movies we've seen with her that we've watched for the podcast, she does play sort of you know for lack of a better word like an immoral person mm-hmm. like in the women she's she has an affair with the husband mm-hmm. um and the other movie where she's the mother oh mildred, mildred pierce, pierce. Yeah, yeah that one too like she kind of so i'm surprised that she like worried about that because like you seem to gravitate towards these darker roles in a yeah. way yeah, I mean, this was towards the very beginning of her career, so she may have, she just hadn't had the other experiences, and maybe, like, after this, she was like, yeah, I'm just gonna lean into it. I'm gonna be a, yeah. play the bad, bad girls. Yeah, that, I mean, those are the more interesting roles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the last piece of trivia I have is that whenever they were filming busy lobby scenes, all the actors wore socks over their new shoes to prevent noise. Oh. Like they went through 200 pairs of woolen socks every day. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. I mean, it makes sense because I'm sure a lobby like that, it would be like polished marble floor. Yeah. Did you come across where it was filmed? No, I didn't. And actually that was like a, like a note that I put in my, I'm sure maybe we should ask Twitter. <laughs> and is it still there? Is the is it question. Still there? Well, this is good, good trivia. I like it. It's interesting that it was, you know, such a new concept to have the big ensemble cast because now that's just the standard. It's like the Avengers. Mm-hmm. How many big movie stars can we get into one movie? Yeah, totally. Yeah, how many how many fancy people can we get? It's like the Avengers. Oh my god, <laughs> so similar. <laughs> um, well, I bioed John Barrymore, Ooh. who um, local hero, Philly born. <laughs> but there's just a lot to read about him, and at this is just scratching the surface. I really (laughs) focused on his career. I didn't even get into his personal life. Uh, But he was born on February 14th, 1882 in Philadelphia to the illustrious Barrymore and Drew acting families. Uh, He was the youngest of three siblings, the older two being Lionel, who appeared in this movie, and Ethel. And his childhood was tumultuous. His parents were going on tour frequently. Sometimes they took the children, sometimes they didn't. Um, He was sent to a number of elite boarding schools, but got kicked out over and over again for various infractions. He was like all over the country. It was like he was in the this one in New Jersey and then he got kicked out and then he was at this one in DC and he got kicked out Hmm. um he also suffered emotional trauma from sexual abuse and he developed an early alcohol addiction in his adolescence Mm. yeah so he really did not have a great childhood uh, his father also developed serious mental illness while while he was still a young man and His father had to be institutionalized and really um, was debilitated by it. And that haunted 
Barrymore throughout his life because he was convinced that, you know, that same fate could befall him Uh, um, because he witnessed a lot of it. hmm. So he wanted to be an artist, but wasn't initially interested in acting. He took bit parts in family members' productions just to make money, Mm -hmm. uh, like to supplement his income. But he tried art and he tried journalism and neither of them panned out. Uh, So he said, it looks like, it looks as though I'll have to succumb to the family curse, acting. (laughs) And he later admitted, there isn't any romance about how I went on stage. I needed the money. Mm. So, you know, because of his family connections, and their reputation it was actually a more viable career to become an actor and like support himself Uh, in 1904 he made his broadway debut and shortly after began to make a name for himself in a touring production of the dictator in 1907 yeah i know i was like "Ooh, the dictator he earned his first leading role in the boys of company b although by that time he was known for being somewhat unreliable professionally due to his drinking problem. I mean, basically he had a drinking problem from the time he was a teenager. So it affected his career a lot. In January, 1912, he appeared together with his sister Ethel in A Slice of Life at the Empire Theater on Broadway to rave reviews. And in late 1913, Barrymore made his first confirmed feature film, the romantic comedy An American Citizen. He continued to appear on stage even as he took on more film roles, becoming known for his Shakespearean parts. Um, And that was throughout his career on stage and screen. He became known for those types of roles. He played Richard III. He played Hamlet. Um, In 1919, Barrymore portrayed a struggling lawyer in the film adaptation of the Broadway show, Here Comes the Bride, Mm. which he followed with The Test of Honor. And that film marks his first straight dramatic role on screen after years of performing in comedy dramas. It, it's interesting because he initially got slotted into comedy and it wasn't until like later in his career. And he's more known like for drama now, but that didn't come till later. Uh, in November of that year, Barrymore began filming Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde playing the dual leading role. And the film was released in theaters the following year. Um, and that was a sensation. The reviews said it's the star's picture from the very outset and is the star that makes it. Huh. And that his portrayal was a thing of fine shadows and violent emotions. What? I know. I was like, that is a wonderful thing to say. <laughs> I want someone to say that about me. I, yeah, that sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> So that film was so successful that the U.S. Navy still uses stills of it in its recruiting posters today. Yeah. Um, He also famously played Sherlock Holmes in the 1922 film. So a lot of like um, really. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He was a lot of literary figures, too. Yeah. He played. Uh, He worked with major studios who appear in The Sea Beast and Don Juan in 1926. And then his stage training made the transition to talkies seamless. And his first sound picture was The Show of Shows in 1929. It seemed like when the talkies uh, came into being that the studios were really desperate for anyone who already had good diction and like Mm -hmm. knew how, and he fit right into that slot so uh he appeared in state's attorney in a bill of divorcement in 1932 side note for the podcast listeners bill of divorcement also Catherine hepburn's first film what uh however 
his addiction and mental health were worsening and began he began to have trouble remembering his lines apparently even his character's name sometimes what uh so it got to be so studios were no longer willing to work with him <laughs> what? and uh he turned to radio plays which i guess were easier because he could just read the lines <laughs> um in october 1940 he performed on rudy valley's show called the seal test show and he recorded 74 episodes Wow. And it was a lot of the like later roles he did and work he did were kind of making fun of himself. Like he would play like old washed up alcoholics and stuff, which is kind of sad if you think about it. Um, yeah, that is pretty, kind of sad. Yeah. On May 19th, 1942, while recording a line from Romeo and Juliet for the show, Barrymore collapsed. He was taken to the Hollywood Presbyterian Hospital and died there on May 29th from cirrhosis of the liver and kidney failure whoa yeah in 1942 you said yeah wow i know so it but he's considered by a lot of film historians to have had like the biggest influence on early hollywood and sort of that transitional time mm-hmm. from like into the talkies mm-hmm. because he had all these iconic roles mm-hmm. um, but just a really a sad life and yeah. he, his personal life was also like a complete mess. <laughs> so <laughs> there's uh, there's more to learn there. But that's John Barrymore. <laughs> so sad. Yeah, I just felt just I when I read about his upbringing and all, I was like, oh, this is awful. He didn't even have a chance, really. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. I guess he made great art. So the the uh, the flip side of not having a chance to have a childhood is. <laughs> it's like you can make great art yeah we could t- we could talk i'm reading a book that says you don't have to suffer to make great art so yeah. i'm hoping <laughs> that that's not the case but <laughs> um so let's get into it tell me about your history with this movie so i had seen this movie back when i was in high school but i didn't really remember anything about it i mean except for that like all these people are in it but i couldn't remember like the plot or anything so i was really i was really interested to watch it and greta garbo is like my guardian angel i don't know she's the like it's her photo that's like my profile picture on everything so um (laughs) she's she's i don't know she's my girl so uh, it was, she was my focal point when I was like watching this movie. And there are many times when I was like, as we were watching that I was like, what is happening? <laughs> Why is, yeah. is she, what is happening with Greta Garbo? Yeah, but, her character was the weirdest part of the movie, which is saying something. <laughs> yeah, that is saying something because there is a lot going on. And like Jen, Jen watched this with me and she said it reminded her of a Robert Altman film with lots of different stories that like end up touching each other or like intertwining in in ways and when I was looking at the the trivia one of the pieces of trivia is that like there's all these famous people in it but at no point are all of them in one scene together yeah you know Greta Garbo's character isn't ever in a scene with Joan Crawford or Lionel Barrymore um or Wallace Beery that she's just like it just doesn't happen. Yeah, that's true. I wonder if that was just because of the way the film was. I mean, now they'd be like scheduling conflicts. Like right. we yeah. could get them on the set at the same time. It would cost too much money. Had you seen this movie before? <laughs> I had not. I felt like I had seen parts of it because some of it has been 
parodied. Mm-hmm. Like I've de- I definitely have seen parodies of that. Like I want to be alone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I feel like the Lionel Barrymore character also has been um, copied a bunch of times and other things. Oh yeah. Yeah. Did this movie feel very German to you? Certain. Well, the prizing, the manufacturer um, mm-hmm. guy did. I mean, it I know he's like the bathroom calisthenics. Yes, I was like, this is when he was doing that. I was like, this is so German. If it was weird though, because like some people had accents and some didn't in the movie. Apparently, he's the only one that has a German accent, and that was one of the ways that like Thalberg was like, like got him to agree to be in the film because he was like, you're the only one will ha- who will have a German accent, and he was like, okay, that sounds great. It, the movie takes place in Germany. You're all ostensibly speaking German to each other, like in this magical world. So the fact that you have a German accent is like stupid. Yeah, it was weird because it made me think like, oh, are some of these people American or British? And we're supposed to think that they're just there because Greta Garbo had the accent too, but she was Russian. Yeah. I mean, her accent was Swedish, but she, her character was Russian. So yeah, it was, that actually was jarring to me that that two people had accents and no one else did they're supposed to be in germany but he was the only one with the german accent i was like okay whatever suspension of disbelief (laughs) um hard to yeah so it did feel it did feel german to me particularly in his character the way he conducted himself about everything (laughs) because that's still like even when i was studying german you would not believe how many of the textbooks were just all about how much Germans love like physical exercise and the outdoors (laughs) and recycling. (laughs) Those were like the big three. It was like sorting or recycling. Like, you know how there's parks that have those places along a trail where you can like do pull-ups and stuff. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. That's like a big thing. (laughs) So anyway, yes, he felt German to me, but not, not as much the other characters. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, is that the vibe that you got? Um, yes, I think. But like, you have more German experience than I do. So, <laughs> I mean, the dachshund was a nice touch. I forgot about Adolphus the dachshund, which was like heartbreaking after the Baron is murdered. Spoiler alert. It's the Baron who's murdered. When he like says at the beginning, like, oh, you're the only person I've ever loved to Adolphus the dog. Um, yeah and then, and then it was like poor Adolphus is locked in this room yeah I did think it was strange I mean it must have been a very high-end hotel because the Baron could just like hand the dog to a bellhop with no preamble and just be like go walk him yeah <laughs> and it was just like okay you know I mean it, was... it seemed like there was like an expectation that like normally he would tip the bellhop to do it and then he wasn't tipping him because he didn't have any money yeah that's true i was a little confused about the whole deal with the baron oh i have a note that's like is the baron really a baron he seems like he's a con artist so it but maybe he he's a both a baron and a con artist those are yeah actually exclusive i guess that's kind of what i thought i mean initially when i was watching it i was like i got vibes that he was like an assassin because they yeah. were like, you have to do it tonight. And like, oh, I've got a mark on her room. But then it seemed more like he was being extorted or like he owed money in some yeah. way. Yeah, that he was just a jewel thief. But then when he like set up the, it seemed like he set up the 
the gambling night in Kringlein's room. And I, it's, I, I mean, it, I was, I didn't, I couldn't figure out if he like rigged that so that Kringlein won like, you know, his 14,000 marks or whatever. Um, like I just couldn't, I couldn't tell what the underhanded stuff that was like on purpose and what of it was just like underhanded. Yeah. That seemed weird to me. And I hate anytime this happens in a movie, it makes me so angry when someone's like, I need money in a hurry. You know, it's a great way to do it. Take the very limited funds I currently have and play poker. Yeah. Donate Um, plasma. (laughs) Yeah. Like it, it makes no sense. And the other thing that really infuriated me about this movie was like the whole reason that he needed money to get on the train was also made up he was like i have no money and greta carbo's character was like i have plenty of money for both of us and he was like no i can't take your money yeah which is like just take his take your money get on the train with her and like when you get to Tremetto, figure it out yeah i mean he literally ended up dead because he was like i will not take money from a woman right because the patriarchy the patriarchy is what murdered i mean pretty much like if you think about it especially because prizing was also like literally and figuratively the patriarchy murdered him yeah literally yes literally and figuratively the patriarchy murdered the baron Mm -hmm. okay i'm jumping all over the place here but were you completely shocked when all of a sudden prizing starts just beating him with a telephone and then he's dead i mean i was shocked but i also was like you know this guy is a total jerk and the prizing is a jerk he's like he's a jerk to everybody he just like straight up lied because you know about this business deal that like like he needs to happen so that he like his business goes through and then now he's bringing this like secretary on a trip to england when he's married and is like you know i'm paying you basically to come with me and like sex will be involved that is an expectation so he's a just class a jerk so it isn't for me it wasn't like totally out of character that then he like picks up a telephone and starts beating the baron for (laughs) for stealing his wallet did it almost i mean like say we look at prizing's character it felt a little bit breaking bad like because in the beginning he was like oh i would never lie to make a deal and like i'm a family man you know i'm married with two kids or whatever and then he eventually just makes all of these terrible decisions he's like well i'm gonna lie to do this deal all right now i'm gonna take the stenographer as my forced mistress basically yeah and then he's like all right now i'm gonna murder this person (laughs) to make it look like i didn't do it Um, yeah and frame somebody else for it Mm -hmm. yeah it was super super messed up i was just shocked because it didn't seem like that kind of movie to me where all like the baron was really the main character in a lot Mm -hmm. of ways Mm -hmm. he's the one who like connects everybody Yeah, yeah exactly they killed him off and i just was not expecting that um, and they didn't really make it like we, when he all of a sudden was just in the room, like trying to steal stuff. I was like, oh, where did this come from? Like, oh, why is he in this room trying to steal things? But yeah. it happened very quickly, considering that other things in the movie weren't like that. Although falling in love also very quick. Yeah, for, literal, I mean, it wasn't like... The events of this movie all take place within the course of like a couple of days, I guess. So like very quick, all of it. Yeah. 
I didn't know how to feel about the Baron, really, because... I mean, I I have a question that's like, is he really a Baron? He's definitely a con artist. Like, I don't... <laughs> wh- who is this guy? What's happening? Well, I can't tell when he's being earnest and when he's being just like... Like, I couldn't tell if he really cared about Kringlein or yeah. if he was just, like, playing him. Well, and- yeah, it would have made more sense almost if he had tried to steal. Well, he even offered him money, too. And was like, hey, I'm going to be dead in a couple weeks. Like, take my money. And he was like, no, I couldn't take your money. <laughs> yeah, which I like, I guess I kind of appreciate because like, you know, the, you know, prizing is such a jerk and an asshole that like, yes, someone should steal money from him because he is a jerk. Mm-hmm. And like, has clearly like based on what Kringlein says, like he has he has not cared about his workers. He has not cared about like, like whether or not they live or die, whether or not they have a living wage. So like someone should steal from him. The only reason his business like dealing should go through is so that these people continue to have a, like a job to do, but not, not, and like, you know, be able to make a living, but not because like, he's like such a great, like industrial magnate or whatever it is that uh, Mr. Industrial magnate pricing is what uh, Kringlein keeps calling him. <laughs> um, which I thought was hilarious. He's a terrible person. And like someone, like he deserves to be dead at the end of this movie, except, you yeah. know, nobody cares about him. Yeah, I know. It would have been a lot more satisfying. And th- what was the deal with Garbo's character and like why she couldn't perform in the beginning parts of the movie? I think, well, one of the things that I had read was that Garbo didn't want to take this this role at first because she thought she was too old to play like a prima donna ballerina she was 27 at the time which i guess is like old for a prima donna ballerina so it seemed to me that like her she was just like growing out of the like ravages of time you're suddenly you know old at the ripe old age of 27 so like she wasn't getting the crowds that she was used to and that was just like making her depressed which made her a worse dancer which like meant nobody was coming which meant she was more depressed it was just like a vicious cycle well it seemed to me like I found her difficult to believe as a ballerina yeah well (laughs) which is like I mean she has the body type but her the way she carries herself and all was like the exact opposite like she was always like bending forward like her posture wasn't Mm -hmm like very good and like that seemed odd to me and then also even the way she was wearing her hair I mean maybe this is like too nitpicky because I know that was just the style of the time but I was like you did not seem like like I could have I wish they had made her something else like an opera singer or something and I'd be like yes I believe that yeah I mean I similarly was like you don't have enough muscles on your body to be a ballerina (laughs) yeah we we now know that they're like among the most elite athletes in the world and their legs could like stop a truck and (laughs) (laughs) yeah she seemed just very odd to me like the whole thing she was like oh I can't work anymore oh I'm gonna kill myself wait there's a strange man in my room oh I'm in love with you yeah (laughs) what I just, I did not buy their romance at all. They literally just like saw each other in a dark room and they're like, all right, now I'm in love with you. Yeah. And it was enough that the Baron was like, I was going to steal these pearls from you to like get some money that I really need. And instead I'm in love with you and please don't kill yourself. (laughs) Yeah. I don't really, yeah, I don't, I don't know what that's about. Well, and he had just like the way he acted with Joan Crawford's character earlier, like he was basically like kind of sexually harassing her. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. in the hallway and then yeah. 
he it, it worked and she agreed to go out with him yeah. and it almost like seemed like he had more interaction with her mm-hmm. and like more chemistry with her than he did with although I do have to say that calling somebody that you're like flirting with funny one that's pretty sexy that's <laughs> like sure <laughs> <laughs> But what if you call them funny face? <laughs> Still good? Mm-hmm. Not good? I mean, it works for Audrey Hepburn, so. <laughs> so, yeah. I, and then she was like, well, I'm in love, so I can dance again. Uh, I don't know. that. Follow I was actually, right. and I love Garbo, but I just, like, I was the least into that part of the movie. Well, it seemed like the least it was the smallest part of the movie. It seemed to me like Kringlein's story was like, seemed like the most consequential, I guess, because he had, he had nothing to lose. So it seemed like he was going to, you know, like something big was going to happen. And then of course, like then the Baron gets killed and pricing had like more uh, like stuff in the balance too, just because of the business deal. So, so it seemed like the ballerina storyline was just like inconsequential. Yeah. It did seem less, less like, uh, dynamic in some ways and I still felt like I was the most interested in what happened to Joan Crawford's character I was I, like what's yeah I agree the, <laughs> she just seemed interesting and like mm-hmm. vivacious and like she like I just was curious like where is this gonna go is she gonna get this job is she gonna get another job like well oh the other question I wanted to ask you is was it implied <laughs> At the end of the movie, when she goes with Otto, was that just like a friendship thing? I think so. But like, that, that was what I like sort of implied. Like, I, that's what I got. Like, she wasn't like going to have sex with him or anything. It was just like, she was a companion for him. Not in a like, like sexual way. Okay, good. Because I was like, oh no, Otto. Like, please don't, don't you also be a creep? Yeah. I liked how she danced with him and all and gave him respect. I mean, some of this movie was kind of about how classes shouldn't be so tiered in a way. Mm-hmm. Like she was a stenographer and she was like hanging out with a baron, but also with this, you know, working man from that yeah factory or whatever yeah she was the interest an interesting character because she could like go back and forth among those like class differences yeah i've been living my own life making my own decisions for a long while now it's impossible to go back to being treated like a child again well do you think we're ready to talk about the Bechtel test I think so I was like I just had this thought of like wait a second if like Joan Crawford and Greta Garbo are not in any scenes together does it pass the Bechdel test but I guess there's Suzette the the maid who's not very like fleshed out yeah I mean should we I was thinking we should probably just say what the Bechdel test is mm-hmm. <laughs> at some point in case anybody doesn't know but yeah okay so the Bechdel test is that there's at least two women talking to each other about something other than a man which is like a low bar for a movie it seems yeah but to this day many do not pass many do not it's a good test of like i think like representation of women yes i agree yeah i would i feel like maybe only 10 20 percent pass of the movies we watch yeah (laughs) which is pretty sad yeah but i agree so suzette was like the the maid of greta garbo's character 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So I agree that that I think that's the only thing that would qualify because Joan Crawford, I don't think talks to any, any women Mm-mm. in the movie mm-hmm. and they are talking about work too. Mm-hmm. So I, but is she developed enough? <laughs> I guess it doesn't matter. I, we're we're going to say it passes. Yeah. But like, I would say just barely because then at some point in the film, Suzette is like, trying to not tell Gruz and Skaya that the Baron has been killed. She's like doing everything she can to not communicate with her about this man, which like, I feel like undermines everything else. Yeah, that's she's true. Like, she's not communicating with her. She's not telling you the truth. And it's about a man. So that is true. Yeah. So let's, we'll just say technically passes. Technically pa- passes, possibly neutral on the, you know, on the uh, it's a shame that Garbo and Crawford didn't have any scenes together because I would have liked to see that. Mm-hmm. We all want to help one another. Human beings are like that. We want to live by each other's happiness, not by each other's misery. Well, what about social justice? I mean, we, we talked a little bit about the class stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of class. I made a note that like money seems to be the root of all of the problems in this movie. Like it's the thing that divides a lot of the characters. It's the thing that motivates the Baron to like steal, like the fact that he needs money. It's the thing that like motivates Kringleine to like stay in the Grand Hotel because he's like, I finally have, like I don't have any time left and I have this money so I'm going to spend it in the lap of luxury you know obviously pricing he needs to continue to make money so and at like you know at some point Flemshin like talks about like how money like determined has determined how she lives like the jobs she takes and the you know traveling with men it's all based on money and the need for it yeah and it does seem like certain characters aren't like weren't thinking about like oh who needs money like it's kind of like if you have it you don't think about it like why would this person do this terrible thing Mm -hmm. and then they don't even have to think about money or where it comes from Mm -hmm. doesn't the baron say at one point in the movie that money is the root of all evil i can't remember i can't remember if he says that but that seems like it also might have been something i was reading at the same time (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i mean i think but, we can agree that money is the root of all evil yeah <laughs> I, yes i do agree i mean that he gets and also his pride i mean that's really what gets him killed that's true because like you said like if he had just said like oh yes i'm in love with this woman and i'm okay with like this woman carrying me for a little while until i get my feet underneath me like he they would go to tremezzo have a vacation and he you know he wouldn't be dead <laughs> yeah it's it's pretty sad and being beaten to death with a telephone just seems like a bad way to go there's a lot of like symbolism in there that like (laughs) okay yeah (laughs) by by an industrial magnet (laughs) (laughs) oh well so what rating would you give this movie i think i would give this movie a i actually i might give this movie a 4.5 whoa yeah, I like, well, you know, I'm the easy one. I I would definitely watch this movie again, I, even though every single man in this movie is like totally creepy in like all the de- definitions of creepy. I, I, you know, it was really enjoyable to watch like Joan Crawford acting and um, the interactions between 
the Barrymore brothers, which we didn't talk about this much at all, but like at some point John kisses Lionel on the head. And I was like, okay, this, that, that only happened because like everybody knows that it's two brothers in real life. Like that's <laughs> like, there's no, <laughs> that's the only way this, that kiss is happening in this movie. And it's not like cut. And which, but I like, I thought that was like fascinating to watch them in a movie together. And just like the, the art direction, the cinematography just was really fascinating and felt really modern to me. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, I think, I mean, I would watch this movie again, like not to like in the near future, I think. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So yeah, 4.5. What, <laughs> what low scoring? Uh, <laughs> well, I I would say a three for me. <laughs> I didn't love it. I liked it. I, I don't feel super drawn to rewatch it except for the things that you said, like the mm-hmm. setting and like the the way it was filmed and all I thought was really cool. Or maybe I would rewatch it for Joan Crawford's performance I thought was really good I don't know if like there was not like the spark so much for me to like grab onto that I was hoping for from this one but I still liked it a lot and I liked the ensemble cast and it had some actors who we haven't watched as much in it which I thought was nice Mm-hmm. and two like amazing female stars so that also was good but yeah I'm a three which is funny because <laughs> when we did funny face you were like two never watching this again and I was like tap dancing like 4.5 <laughs> so I'm glad you recommend this was your pick Hillary and I'm glad you did and it did kind of make me feel like I was traveling with that hotel vibe yeah oh yeah yeah so what's our next movie okay so our next film is on the town yay (laughs) more tap dancing more tap dancing (laughs) every other film (laughs) (laughs) may it please the court i submit that my entire line of defense is based on the proposition that persons of the female sex should be dealt with before the law as the equals of persons of the male sex Follow The Screen Sirens on Twitter at The Screen Sirens. Leave us a review on iTunes or SoundCloud to help other people find us. And become a patron at patreon.com slash The Screen Sirens. Thanks for listening. After all, tomorrow is another day.